0: Good afternoon, everyone. Today is Wednesday, February 4th, 2015. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the promotional about practice live chat. Here we go. Here on uh, MMAfighting.com. Today on the chat, you know what we're going to talk about. I don't take a lot of, uh, I don't don't need to give a lot of explanation about what's most important. Anderson Silva popping positive for not one, but two different steroids, uh, cheap ones at that. Nick Diaz for the third time in his career, all three times in Nevada, all three times in various Februarys, testing positive for marijuana. We still have in better news the sort of UFC 183 event if you want to get to the fight card results because there was no Monday morning analyst um, and whatever else you want to get to. Glory 19, by the way, is on Friday on Spike TV. So uh, a lot to get to, quite a bit. So let's just get that right down to it. You can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. You may email me. For things that you need to do that are not chat related, uh, at Luke Thomas at espionation.com. Uh If you're watching this now, please share it on some various form of social media. Yes, I got stuff all over my hands, like I got this medicine. Anyway, um, yeah, stuff that turns green in the comments gets priority. Please, you know, get on uh, Facebook is the worst beginning to this chat ever. Facebook. Twitter, any kind of social media channel where you can distribute either the YouTube link or the one MMA fighting, um, that'd be hugely appreciated. And you can hear my dogs going crazy downstairs. So let's just get right down to it, shall we? Um, We're going to start off with the first questions that we can, um, and uh, I suspect that they're going to be heavily related to the Anderson Silva, Nick Diaz stuff. I don't know why they wouldn't be. So let's open this joker up, see what we got. Uh, Let's see. All right question is xanax allowed for diaz that's at least legal but not sure about water or whatever though clearly weed is not working for his tests yeah no xanax would not be i mean you can barely take things like tylenol depending on what the issue may be um both for in or out. Of, i mean out of competition i don't think it's so much an issue but even for uh um but for in competition eat, prescribe medications like that that can have an that can affect your altered state of consciousness or that can rather, rather, I should say, cause a altered state of consciousness. Um, those would certainly, you don't want fighters competing on Xanax. Even if you have like some sort of, remember he, remember he failed an in-competition post-fight test, right? So there are certain restrictions about that that may not necessarily relate to you out of competition, but most certainly they would in competition. Oh, notes, we're tested by the government. Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. All right, Nick Diaz, according to Ariel Hawani, he popped for marijuana metabolites via a urine test. That doesn't tell the Athletic Commission whether or not Diaz was high in competition, uh, um, used marijuana under the rules of competition 12 hours out. Can Diaz cite the Jones incident and not get penalized? See, this is where it gets very complicated, but in some ways it shouldn't be. Here's the deal with this. We need to just fundamentally accept it. You You can take issue with whether you think he should use marijuana, whether he should use marijuana as much as he does. Whether or not it makes sense for a prize fighter to have this kind of relationship with marijuana, I mean, I'm a pretty pro-use advocate, at least for marijuana, and uh, I don't think it affects his athletic performance, but I can understand there are just certain ways in which you have to conduct yourself for professional purposes, where if you've popped three times in your career, you're going to have problems. The rules are stupid. They're incredibly stupid, and they need reformation. But at some point, you get to a position where you're just like, dude, this is just self-sabotage, okay? I mean, three times. um, Again, the rules are insane, but they are what they are. I mean, they're not going to change overnight. So here's the deal. This is not like the Jones situation, but in some ways it is. It's not like the Jones situation because for whatever cocaine use that came up for him out of competition that's what that test was done. It was done out of competition roughly a month before his fight on January 3rd, at some point in December. There was a gap there. Nick Diaz's test for marijuana, now he may have had other out of competition tests, but the one that we're talking about here was a in-competition post-fight year analysis. So there are different rules about what may or may not apply, Okay, both for the drug itself and for in and out of competition use. Okay, so... Understanding that, that's where we're, that's the position we've arrived at. But here is the fundamental problem. You know, I often saw people being like, well, the Diaz situation, the general situation are different, only on that level. But to me, that distinction as it relates to marijuana is meaningless. If you're going to test guys via your analysis, and I want to pull this up because I actually, uh, I wanted to make sure I had it. Here is the fact about marijuana use um via urinalysis okay i mentioned this many times but i want to get the facts out the urinalysis does not tell you when they used it simply tells you that they used and there are a lot of factors that go into understanding this but think of it just on a basic term you're urinating in a cup you're giving the cup to the tester the tester is running your urine you are giving them something your body has already processed. You are not looking inside the body like you would for, say, a blood alcohol content test and, and trying and to figure out how much THC is in here right now. That's You're not doing that. You're simply asking the person, here's how much marijuana I've digested in the past. And so you can understand based on who you are in your body composition, based on the incidence of use previously, your numbers can fluctuate to a huge degree. And so people brought the fact that the Nevada Athletic Commission used to have a standard of 50 nanograms per, per, I think, milliliter uh, in your urine, and then they bumped it up to 150. Now, that's good in the sense that it will reduce the amount of guys who were popping positive. That is not, however, a scientific way to determine whether or not the person was using in competition. Now, they may wind up getting up here and telling you this, but here is a fact you need to accept. It is not scientifically possible to pinpoint when a person was high based off the results of a urinalysis. It is not possible. Here's the quote from a, a study. I should link this out later. There is no dose correlate, or excuse me, no dose correlation. One more time. There is no dose-concentration relationship that exists correlating drug metabolite levels in urine to drug impairment. One more time. There is no dose-concentration, meaning how much you used, when you used, relationship that exists correlating drug metabolite levels in urine to drug impairment. They simply don't know. Now, obviously, it stands to reason... If you have a lot more and you exceed the 150, chances are you probably used it a lot sooner. But you have to imagine someone like Nick Diaz, who is more than just a daily user, I would imagine, a multiple times per day user. You know, It's going to take him a while to get that out of his system. And maybe he used it 12 hours or, or 13 or 14 hours before competition, which is not against in-competition use. And it was still in his system. Impairment, by the way, only lasts from any study I can find, roughly approximately four hours, based on the individual dosage. Four hours. OK? Now, if the, the window is 12 or in competition, okay, fine. I'm just pointing out to you, if they're going to argue that he went to the, the cage high, they can't prove it. They can't. They simply cannot. If they want to argue, we know for a fact, he used 12, uh, he was using 12 hours in a 12-hour window. They're not telling the truth. They can't actually do that. Here's the funny part about it. Blood tests are the only way they can tell you because they're actually going into your body and seeing how much THC is racing through your system. Even then, there's dispute about what constitutes impairment. Now, um, here's the funny part about this: in Nevada, they'll actually do some blood tests. I don't think every time, but if they do a if they take a blood sample in Nevada, let's say for a DUI, and you know you're drunk as a skunk. And they look at your blood and you also have marijuana or maybe you were so baked that you were driving like an idiot and they test your blood. They have certain thresholds. And I think it's for blood, which is very different than urine for blood. I think it's 10 or 15 nanograms per milliliter. But remember they're going into the body and looking at what is actually there right now running through your veins. Doesn't that, doesn't that just logically sound uh, uh, like a much better way to do things? Hey, how much, how much THC is in you right now, <laughs> right? And again, they're going to have a difficult time establishing it, but at least you have on the legal side, you already have in the state of Nevada for people who are operating a vehicle, and certainly if you can't operate a vehicle, you should not be fighting in a cage, yeah? Why not use that limit? The police are already doing it. There's already a system in place. Use the blood test, and if you failed that, okay. Now we got a problem. All I'm pointing out to you is maybe what the test shows is that Nick Diaz was, in fact, high within that 12-hour window. And if he is, that's a serious problem. What I'm trying to just get across to you is they can't actually prove it. They can't actually prove it. They're just basically saying, yo, if it's super high, it's got to be. That's not science. It's It's not science. This is a very simple matter to adjudicate. Take a blood test. You have a legal standard already in place for people who drive down the strip. If they can't operate a vehicle under those circumstances, most certainly they should not be operating themselves in a cage fight for professional purposes. Yes, we can all agree. How is this hard? I don't understand what's so difficult about this. You've got it all in place already. Ask the police to do it for crying out loud. But if you want to get up here and argue, ah, he exceeded the new threshold of 150, you're not, or maybe it's um, centigrams per milliliter, whatever, nanogram, whatever it is, NGML, I think it's NGML, hold on, uh, yeah, NGML, nanograms per milliliter, um, yeah, well, I don't understand what's so hard about this, so, you know, listen, I don't want to stray too much off topic here, because I know we have to get to Anderson, but this is, this is to me... I don't know that he wasn't high or it was high. Here's what I know. The test you use doesn't tell us that. This is my whole point. You got this guy's career and you are just, you are just railroading him over something that is scientifically not valid. All I am asking is that you do it valid. And if he pops positive or high enough where you can say, Jesus Christ, this guy fought in a cage in a system uh, to, to a point where he had an abnormally high, illegal amount of marijuana in his system uh you know for opera for doing most things other than just laying on a couch yeah then he deserves every bit of punishment because that's just reckless use if we're at that point but we don't we don't actually know that and because they didn't draw a blood sample we're never gonna know that unless they did draw a blood sample and they tested in which case if i was nick d's i'd say test it i'd say test it Uh, What will Nick's punishment be for his third offense? Oh, I suspect they're going to rake him over the coals, but we're going to have to see. I'm assuming a fine, surrendering of a significant portion of his purse, Um, you know, repeat offender three times in the state. I mean, they took almost a million from Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., A slightly related and somewhat different offense, but uh, marijuana related. Yeah, they're going to get him. They're going to get him. And you know what? That's really going to deter future use. Uh Uh, obviously the most important question, here we go. Can we get your take on Silva's PED situation? Now, obviously um, we haven't had the results of the test confirmed. We're waiting on that. Um, his family has already come out his support. You can see his son on Instagram already. Uh, sounds like he's going to fight it every bit he, that he can. So a couple different factors here to go into. Um you know, once this thing comes out, unless there's just massive proof or a cover up of a cover up, or you know, insane amounts of malfeasance or incompetence, um, he's stained for life on this one. Stained for life. You look at someone like Sean Shirk. He fought when what happened to him in Nevada. He fought it tooth and nail, and um, and it still kind of always stuck with him a little bit. You know, he he vociferously maintained his innocence, and he was sort of borderline with it the whole way. Um, But um, it didn't matter in the end. So I just mean, even if he's innocent, unless he can really and truly prove that someone had it out for him, and that's going to be, you know, almost unbearably impossible to prove, um, this will will stick with him forever. We can just keep that up there right there. Um, Does it affect his legacy? I suppose it's up to you to decide that. Let me just say something just have a moment of candor with you uh, as, as an audience. Um, I am not going to come up here and say that I'm, I wasn't surprised to hear this. I was surprised to hear this. I was like, Jesus, really, Anderson? Really? Um, but I didn't have the same scorn or resignation maybe that you guys did or some of you guys did. Let me just say a couple things. This doesn't change my opinion about MMA at all. At all. Now, I'm not one of these guys that's up here that gives you one of these like ultra glib takes. Like, I don't care what they use. You know, I think that's a little bit silly and just not a serious position. Okay. But I love MMA, right? The act of MMA, two guys or, or women fighting professionally in a cage who are high caliber athletes who are insanely trained and to some extent, probably using some measure of performance enhancing drugs, but leave all that aside, the act of cage fighting at a high level. I will never stop liking this. This, I I love this. Who doesn't stop liking this because you think guys are, are cheating. What's that got to do with like, whether or not that activity appeals to you. It only appeals to you under the idea that everyone is a boy scout. I don't know. I, I don't understand that mentality at all. I think, the f- the very concept of two men or again or women fist fighting with minimal rules but an insane amount of skills because no matter what you say about anderson you can't take away from the fact that the dude had skills this this to me is eternally appealing i am a fight fan fighting is like a it's like a deeply personal thing to me i i i i support myself by covering it i i i'm like i'm like existentially attracted to it this changes nothing about my opinion about about mixed martial arts as such. Now, about whether or not I think we have competent regulation, or whether the UFC is doing enough, or um, you know whether some fighters game the system more than others, you know certainly these are these are important debates to be had. But about the sport, doesn't doesn't affect me at all. None. I understand people might have differing perceptions about it. I'm just trying to tell you, like, if you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this, you have a right to feel like if you really had an attachment to Anderson, and I understand fan attachment, you know, if you had an attachment to Anderson and this changes your perception of things, I can understand having a jaundiced view of it all, okay? But on some level, if you're a true fight fan, and not many people are, I, I, I suspect, but I guess I am, I don't care, that's not quite right, It, it this won't stop me from watching it. At at all. At all. Um, I watched Pride, and I didn't, I mean, I suppose I didn't love the fact that they didn't test. It didn't stop me one bit from watching. And if they brought back Pride, I'd still watch it. And, yeah, it was partly a circus. But there was also some, like, dude, some of your fondest memories in MMA involved probably two guys who were juiced out of their, juice to the tits. This is a fact you just need to accept. It doesn't make it okay or awesome or things you're just like, well, I just don't care anymore. I mean, I don't know that that's the right answer either. But on some level, steroids is a real part of sports. And because MMA is a sport, it's a real part of MMA. It's just just a way of life. Okay, but at 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 its core level, if you broke down from an abstract thing about what MMA is, I love it. None of that ever changes. Now, as it relates to Anderson Silva, my God, there are just so many angles to go here. Does this ruin his legacy? Of course it does. Not completely. Um, but folks are asking, well, can we go back and now look at his record and say some of this is suspect? Or, or do we even have a right to do that? Unfortunately, now that this has come to light, you do. You do. It's not a coincidence. I mean, part of the reason, like the glory days of MMA, man, that... That, you know, when, when, when UFC was on the come up, the pride was still hot, you know. Um, and, you know, the, 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 when Vanderlei fought Rampage or, you know, Kator um, Liddell 1 and 2 and all those fights. And I'm not saying any of those guys use, although obviously Vanderlei's had his issues. But, I mean, that that era, that era of guys. It's also the era with, like, the least amount of regulation. Now, I'm not saying that any of those four guys, again, Vandalay's had some issues, but you know, Rampage never really, I mean, Rampage had the TRT thing, but whatever. Um, um, and you know, Couture was under suspicion, Chuck Liddell never, but these aren't your poster boys for uh, performance enhancing drug use. Uh, but there were many guys during that era who were, and there weren't many guys who really got popped too bad. And when it happened, it was like all real scandalous. Dude, there's a lot of guys using right now. Uh, maybe less than there was before because of the way in which these new regulations are being introduced. I don't know. Maybe it's just the same. Maybe it's more. I don't know. I'm just trying to point out to you, like the heyday of mixed martial arts, that at its peak, when they, when you were a fan and you were just like, "Oh my god!" Now it's more worldwide now, and maybe we can quibble about what it means to be a peak. But this moment in time when MMA was super hot, uh, there was there was terrible regulation, and in the case of Japan, none, <laughs> none. You know, is it a total coincidence that that's the moment you built heroes? Because this is what you are doing. This is what I'm trying to help you understand. If what you are invested in are heroes, you are going to be disappointed. This isn't pro wrestling. I don't watch pro wrestling for a reason. This This isn't comic books. I don't read them for a reason. This is real life. And fighting in real life at a high level is insanely hard to do. And to do it for more than a decade is borderline mother effing impossible. For Silva to go as long as he did, not just being successful, but not failing any tests because maybe he wasn't using, is just the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, it's such an achievement, I can barely wrap my head around it. If you had a completely performance-enhancing, drug-free MMA world, we already talk about narrow fighter windows. It would be half that. Your body just can't take this. We're so good at exacting violence, we just have this unrealistic expectation about what's possible. And you've got all the pressure in the world on Anderson Silva, being the greatest of all time, and shattering his leg and then trying to get a comeback because he wants to come back and the promoters want him to come back and the fans want him to come back and the sport wants, everybody wants Anderson for the most part with just a few dissenting voices to come back. Maybe not his family. Do you, you don't think this guy was under insane pressure? Why? Because people were invested in the idea of Anderson. That idea to me is, is someone else's fantasy. I just like the sport. What I was talking about before. The sport of mixed martial arts is, is eternally appealing to me. It is, it touches me personally. The idea of investing in completely unrealistic expectations of human performance, I'm, I'm, I'm less interested in that. That's why you have to value guys who are so good. Doesn't matter if they're popular at some level, you know, I understand it's part of business considerations, right? I mean, that's what makes the world go around. Okay. But, you know, when Anthony Pettis in his prime, and who knows if he's using, but of course there's no reason to believe that he is. I'm just saying, let's imagine he's clean. He's doing what he's doing clean. Dude, that is an insane level of athletic and human performance. What is it that you watch for? I tell you what I watch for. It is athletic excellence. I I don't necessarily watch to see heroes or some phony idea that I project onto somebody. Not just because they'll inevitably disappoint you, but because there's nothing there. You are you are massaging your own fantasies. So so I would just tell you you know does it suck? Yeah, man, it sucks. Like Anderson seemed to be both fully prize fighter and fully martial artist, and and using these things are terrible. Usually you know we we ascribe um, guys who use this kind of thing as lesser fighters or or, or, or something like that, and there was no one you know, who had more grandeur than Anderson Silva. And so that sense it hurts. I I, I don't think you're wrong for feeling that way, but I would tell you to take a step back and ask yourself, what is it you are invested in here? You know, the the world loves heroes. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you're banking your love of the sport on, I could understand why you would be um, hurt. But this is what humans do. This is what we do if we can cut corners more often than not we're gonna if we can game the system and not get caught most of us are gonna that th- 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 he is not he is not a child molester or somebody who committed bank fraud he's just a guy with the world on his shoulders everyone clamoring for him to come back and that doesn't make any of this appropriate i, I, I certainly don't think that but it certainly makes him what many of you don't think that he was already. Human. Anderson Silva is a human being. And what were you expecting at age 40? I mentioned this on, on chat maybe six months ago. You're never going to see another Randy Couture in the sport, most likely. At least not for another generation or two or three or four. It just doesn't. It's not going to happen. You know, I was talking about catching lightning in a bottle. So anyway... What do I think? I think it is going to affect his legacy. I think that's unfortunate and maybe it shouldn't cast doubt on his previous wins, but it's probably gonna, and it probably won't keep him out of the hall of fame because there's not a lot of evidence and you know, the hall of fame or evidence to say that he was cheating all those years. And, um, there's something a word of whispers about it. And of course, you know, um, I think Brian Sand has pointed out, like, if you just look at his body of work, it's, it's beyond commendable, but, um, Human, all too human. These are the choices that they make. Last thing I'd say about this on this particular question, uh, if George St. Pierre has any, any common sense, he will stay retired. Because here's the deal. I don't know that he, I certainly have no evidence, nor would I even ever suggest that he used. But if Anderson's using, anyone else is capable of using. I think we can all agree to that. And I don't know that St. Pierre did or didn't use. Either way, don't come back. You've won. You've won. You did everything you could do as a mixed martial artist, except maybe have a super fight. But okay, who cares about it? I mean, and the one with Silva's gone, right? You, you beat three generations of welterweights. You signed with Gatorade. You signed with Under Armour. You made a ton of cash. You were a national icon. There's nothing left, man. There's nothing left. There truly is nothing left. Guys who have won should quit. Um, and I think that's what he's headed towards. And I think that you're never gonna if he stays retired, and God, God, I gotta hope he does. You're never gonna see someone else like George Saint Pierre win in the way he has. I mean, that's an incredible. I mean. I often say it on this podcast and other places, you leave this game chewed to pieces. You're, you're, you've, you've, I mean, look at Anderson Silva, all the rib injuries. He's probably got, he's going to have arthritis in his knuckles. And oh, by the way, that leg and all these guys have knee surgeries. And hey, how about that brain damage you've incurred? You leave this game chewed up. You essentially hand over your physical health and a certain quality of life future that you were going to have, and you traded in for something else. And maybe that trade is worth it to you, but you definitely made a trade. On top of that, it's everything else. The judgments from declining performance, the world of expectation. Oh, maybe you want to use roids at the end of your career, so you just don't look like a chump anymore. Or whatever the case may be, everything gets you at the end. This is a game that is inhospitable the longer you stay in it. And if you can get out on a high note, and I thought Hendricks beat him, but whatever, he didn't. That is the way to go. Jo- George St. Pierre wrote the textbook on how to have a career and how to get the F out. Silva's claim is stated that it's also a mistake. It seems weird to deny it when you know yourself what you did and the evidence shows it. Do you think someone could have set him up? I mean, this seems highly unlikely. These labs... You know, these things just don't show up in your system, you know, contaminated, contaminated. How you got some goofball just running up in the lab with no gloves on and he's like shooting, you know, liquid into a cup behind his neck and eating a slice of pizza while he does it. It's not how this happens, man. These things just don't show up like that. Um, But I'm curious to hear his defense. It'll be interesting. By the way, everyone was like, he was taking it for his leg. I mean, his leg was well well healed by the time he was tested. So what's he taking it to heal for? I mean, they tested him in January. He was deep into a training camp at that point. Luke, is it more offensive that Anderson Silva popped for not one but two steroid metabolites or the fact that the commission is more likely to severely punish Diaz for weed because the government loves to make money? enforcing archaic weed laws. And he's also a repeat offender. The repeat offender part is going to get me for sure. I mean, they're going to rake him over the coals. This might be the end of Nick Diaz too. You know, if they take enough money from him and they suspend him long enough, I mean, if they give him like a two year suspension because they really want to send a message. Yeah, man, that might be the end of him, but we're going to have to see. I really don't want to get too deep into the idea of what they may or may not do. Um, It depends on how stern a defense that they mount. It depends on a lot of factors. You know, Nick Diaz, I think, to the commission is not a sympathetic figure. Anderson Silva might be a very sympathetic figure, you know. All these things play a a role. Again, anytime you deal with anything where a human judgment solves it, be it a court case, be it judges for ringside at a boxing or mixed martial arts event, some measure of what gets you punishment or lack thereof is performance art. Hiring good lawyers is not just how deep can they reach into the law book. It's how deep can they reach into it? How clever can they present it? And how interesting a case can they make it from a, from a, for lack of a better description from an entertainment standpoint. Here we go. Can I just say that I'm done with MMA and the UFC for a while? So many moving parts and they are all effed up. Number one, the commission sitting on these failed test results. Oh, let's get to that. Number two, The UFC is sitting on these failed test results. We don't know that they did, actually, so let's not throw them under the bus. The top names in the history of the sport, killing the image of the sport. I'm done. (laughs) The UFC has too many damn weak shows. Well, that part's true. Let's talk about that first part, the commission sitting on these failed test results. Now, the commission is saying that they didn't get the results until after the fight. Someone please tell me how on earth it makes even the slightest bit of sense if you know there's a window... For how long it takes for these results to come back? Should you not work within that window before the fight? How, in other words, if if the test if the test takers and the lab says, listen, this will take us about thirty days to do, give or take. Okay, let's schedule it forty five days, just to be sure. And you can still do the tests at forty five days and at thirty days and during in competition, just so that you cover your bases to make sure that. Um, you know, you had all you 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 monitor them appropriately throughout the camp, and yeah, you didn't catch them before, but you tried. You know, you gave yourself a chance to do that with, a, with, let's say, a forty-five day test. Why are we not doing that? You're only taking tests with windows that just conveniently put you after the fact. How does that make How does that make any sense? I, you know, <laughs> what guys? This. Could indicate that the greatest fighter alive is heading into the, one of the most important bouts of his career. Uh, now, not one but two performance-enhancing anabolic steroids. But we're gonna make sure we do a out of competition test that doesn't give us the results until well after everything has happened. Nick Diaz's health and safety be damned. What are you doing? Going, oh, Phil Davis. So it seems like Phil's last fight on his contract was his fight against Bader. I'm wondering when is he allowed to go to Bellator to see how much he's truly worth worth a performance like that. I could see the UFC giving him a pay cut. So we'll have to use Bellator as leverage to get more out of the UFC. Do UFC fighters have a specific time frame They have to wait in order to get out of the open market and see how much they're worth. There's a various windows that they have to do that on uh, depending on the contract, but here's the, the larger consideration that you should think about. I don't think Phil is going to have a lot of luck with, um, Bellator, and the reason why is that I deeply respect Phil Davis. I, I called his fight against Terry T. Rex Cohen's at the Patriot Center years ago. Um, he's a physical specimen. He's an elite mixed martial artist. He's a credit to combat athletes. He had a great amateur wrestling career. The guys, the guy, there's not much you can say negative about him, except that yes, he's ranked, and that's important. But what Bellator is really looking for are action fighters your Pitbulls, your Strausses, your currents, your Richmond's, um, you know, that's what they want. Your Congos, your, um, you know, Mola wall can be an action fighter depending on the opponent. Um, certainly has a bigger personality, has a great relationship with Scott Coker. Phil Davis has none that I'm aware of. So that's the problem here. I don't, I'm not saying they won't bid for his services, but Gilbert Melendez is an action fighter. Now that happened in the Bjorn Rebney regime, but you could imagine them trying the same thing here, given that Scott used to work with Gil and, And Gil is an action fighter. Gil go, 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 goes. I mean, you know, um, he can't beat Anthony Pez, but he can beat a lot of guys. He's really good. But more importantly, he just gets after it. You know, Phil Davis is, is, there's nothing wrong with it. He's a a round and fight manager. um, But I'm not sure that's what Bellator is looking for. They're looking for pop. They're looking for, you know, they're looking for a open your eyeballs kind of effect. And I'm not sure he necessarily gives them that. Well, that's you guys just bickering today in the comments, huh? Any word on the ref cam? I have asked about it, and as soon as I give an answer, I will let you guys know. Uh, no MMA analyst on for UFC 183. Do you know something we did this time? Um, I had a personal matter I had to attend to. Unfortunately, it kept me uh, involved all Monday. Um, sorry, guys. I'll bring it back, though. It's not going anywhere. One says, how about these test results coming in after the fight? <laughs> I mean, it's literally comical, you know, God, and, and it, it, here's the best part about it. It didn't just happen once. Well, actually, no, it did happen once because they got the results for, uh, here's what's funny about the commission, you know, in the case of Jones, they got those results right away, right? That was the cocaine results, but they tested them, you know, and, and they just kept it secret. You know, they didn't, they didn't tell, uh, they told, uh, UFC, but they didn't tell, uh, Jones. They just, they didn't tell them. Okay, so you got those pretty fast. Then you get this other one with a dude pos positive for not one, but two of those jokers. And you somehow miraculously didn't get it for a month. I mean, how does this even make sense? There's so many unanswered questions. And I'm not going to sit here and accuse them of one thing or the other until we have more answers. But here's what I would say at a minimum. There's enough here where you need to be asking some serious questions about this commission. Just questions. No conclusions just yet, but yeah, it doesn't make any sense without some further explanation from them. I just don't, like how many times does this have to happen before you realize they serve the state, there's certain interests that in that serving the state and serving the fighters, there's a lot of overlap there, there's a big portion of overlap that doesn't exist. And you just, need to, you just need to reconcile the fact that that is part of what their duty is, serving the interests of the state. And once you do, it becomes a lot easier to understand some of these decisions. But, again, I'm going to sort of sit here and wait to hear what they have to say. Um, I, you know, if you talk to other journalists, and I talk to a bunch, it's very hard to get answers out of this commission. They'll only go to a few certain guys, um, you know. They, they won't return a lot of requests for information. I know journalists who filed for, who tell me anyway, that they, they tell me this, that they filed for Freedom of Information Act requests and didn't get one, didn't, didn't get a response, you know, so this is what we, who we're dealing with here. Will Silva's win be rescinded? Will it become a loss or no contest? It'll certainly become a no contest. There's no way that um, they're going to keep that a win. They won't give him a loss though. Cause he didn't actually lose. Um, and he'll certainly get a, you know, a substantial penalty, financial penalty. Yeah. So the test results. How will they affect his greatest of all time legacy? Um, depends, depends if George comes back and has the same problem, you know, again, I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm still speaking in hypothetical abstract ways, but yeah, man, this is nuts. This is totally nuts. You're the greatest guy ever in your sport, arguably. And, uh, Maybe on his last fight. And this could end up being his last fight too, by the way. I mean, if you're basically 40, he's almost 40. He's going to have to be out nine months to a year, uh, if not more. Probably just that amount. And then he's going to get a fight maybe one more time. But, you know, you're losing. I mean, if he's using, again, if he's using steroids to facilitate a comeback, it's because he probably doesn't have faith in his level of performance outside of that. I mean, again, he was already healed by the time he was caught with that stuff in his system, right? Already fully healed, already in camp. So um, so he's probably using it, if that's the case, for purposes of making up for declining performance. You're going to lose another year of that? I mean, you know, you're talking about what, 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 what will you get back then? Because I didn't think he looked poorly. I thought that there were moments when he had good reflexes and there were moments when he had good speed. You know, things that were characteristic of his offense. I thought his decision-making looked slow. I thought the fluidity of his offense looked off. And he just never really was able to get sort of continuous momentum. His decision-making seemed hesitant. It seemed limited. You know, that's I think you can attribute that to Diaz in part. You can attribute that to Rust in part. Maybe you can just also attribute it to the fact that part of that fluidity comes from physical confidence, you know. Uh, how did Junkie win over you guys in the awards? Because <laughs> y'all voted for him. That's why. Um, here we go. Then there's a large discussion about MMA fighting and the things we do well and poorly. Silva into the sunset. Prior to yesterday's revelations, I thought maybe it best if Anderson Silva take his win at UFC 183 and ride off into the sunset, having had a win over a good competitor and proving he can come back from a horrendous injury. Not wanting to see the arguable greatest of all time have a decline like Liddell in his final years, and to see him go out with a W seemed to be the best-case scenario. In light of the failed drug tests, is it still best for him to retire with a W and prevent any further in-or-out-of-cage embarrassment? Well, he's not retiring with a W. Or does he need to now have uh, another redemption match to overcome this saddening revelation? It's a good question, you know. What does he do now? Does he say, well, I'm going to be so far gone and by the point I can come back that I'll just say F it? Or does he try to come back and have one more fight to redeem himself? But, of course, a fight he could lose easily, um, you know, by the time he's able to come back again. I don't know. It's a great question. I- I'm guessing because he's fighting this so strenuously, at least from the outset, that he'll probably try and come back. Um and then he'll probably test clean for all that and say, "See, that was just an aberrant thing, maybe." But um, you know, it doesn't matter at this point. Like he had a he had the most sterling prized career based on accomplishment. There were never, for my knowledge, I can tell you, I've heard a lot of whispers about a lot of fighters. Um, he was never one of them. I mean, just talking to other journalists again uh, after the weigh-ins at one eighty three, there were a couple of guys on that card. We were like, "Oh, that dude's gonna pop," you know. Um, and they didn't, but I still have my suspicions about them. We talk about these things openly to each other, but you know, it's not, it's irresponsible to do that in public. You know, you're it's sort of a cone of safety where it's just a private conversation between two journalists who hurt things, but can't substantiate them. And so they won't report on it. They won't make it public. <coughs> um, and they didn't, but Silva did. It's the most, it's the most insane thing. It's the most insane thing. There's my dog going crazy. Tyrone Woodley, light of the UFC 183 proverbial dark tunnel. On a lighter and better note, in the midst of these test results and missed weight cuts, how about Tyrone Woodley? Thoughts on his actions and attitude regarding Gastelum? In my opinion, he is just a classy guy all around. Good point. I'm glad you brought this up because there was a lot to dislike about 183. This was not one of it. I did not love his performance. Obviously, he had a broken foot, so he did the best he could, and you know, it makes part of that understandable. Um, I would say, uh, in addition you know, declining the the fine of Gastelum's purse, if in fact that's what he actually did, because he understands the financial struggles that fighters go through, I thought was a very sympathetic thing to do. So hats off to him. I didn't love his performance. Again, understand that he may have had a broken foot and how much that impacted, I don't know. Um, probably a probably a fairly significant degree. But it just, it wasn't, people were asking me, well, does, does Woodley get a title shot after this? And, and the problem with Woodley is he's ranked really highly He's in that elite company, but he never is, in the moment where it matters, able to turn in one of these performances where you're like, wow, this dude just stuck it to the other guy. Uh, you know, he never – I always bring it up. Th- there's that GSP trig fight, man, you know, two contenders, two guys ready to rock, two guys that who are widely respected, and then one guy goes in there and blows the doors off the other guy, you know. Um, always keep, by the way, you know, I like Frank Trigger a lot, but always keep his analysis of GSP in, in, in that light, you know. Because I know he recently said some things about GSP wouldn't be that good. He's probably right to an extent, but I just mean there was this moment in time, man, where I'm telling you where GSP and Trigger was like, man, GSP is a hot guy. I think I think GSP was certainly favored to win that fight, but there was it was not crazy to think that Frank Trigger was gonna give him problems. And dude, George just rolled on him. It was it was nothing. You know, you never quite have that breakout thing, and there's never this reason to put like, a, you, "Damn, we got to get Woodley in front of this guy." Um, again, he makes judges do arithmetic, and I think you know, oh, he had five strikes here, and he had two strikes there, and you know, he kind of controlled him against the cage for about a minute there. Whenever you whenever you do that, you you you're just forcing yourself into a, a position of, um, you know, you just want to win on resume, and winning on resume is great, but. It's not it's not even winning on resume because GSP be, be and that's a resume thing too, but it's you know, look at the specifics of the resume. It's you know, he just 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 choked him out. You just don't get that with with Woodley sometimes. And not that he's not capable of it, I think he is, but um and and again, the injury helps makes some of that understandable, but that part was lacking for sure. Recent injuries and Titan FC. What is your take on Vitor's recent actions? And if Vitor won't fight, should there be a replacement fight without him? He's a prize fighter doing what prize fighters do. Trying to get the easiest fight. Dude asked for an interim title fight opposite Mark Munoz. Vitor's got some balls, right? I mean, that's a ballsy thing to do. To ask for a guy who's nowhere near the title picture for an interim title fight. Um... That's, that's funny. I like Mark Munoz. He's a really talented guy. He's super friendly, but he's just not a part of the title picture. You know, not right now. And ask the guy you're at. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just not a serious thing. But, of course, that's what he's going to do, you know. He's, he's just – the Vitor is at the end of his career or close to it, and he's asking for fights that are manageable and winnable. Obviously, if you want a title, there's no one to fight but Chris Weidman. But if you don't have to fight Chris Weidman, why take an unnecessary risk against a guy like Leo Machida? You know, that's probably the thing he's thinking. He's just making it sort of like brazenly naked in front of him, you know. Um, who do you think will be next for Faber? I don't know. People are talking about Lineker moving up and fighting Faber. That'd be kind of awesome. Um, after Wonderboy, who do you, what do you think of Thatch's chances against Henderson? This fight is now insanely intriguing because you have Thatch has the kind of style to bring out the kind of style that we used to get from Ben Henderson. You know, if you fight Ben in a way where you're both kind of point fighting, he'll let you. Thatch comes out and just lets it rip. And if you do that, you might get Henderson to let it rip a little bit more, too. Uh, and usually he comes out in situations like that. But we'll have to see. He's going to be fighting bigger dudes. And I don't know. It's a great fight. Here's what I know. I, I That's the only thing I can say with confidence is that you're not going to see the same... Henderson, who fought Cerrone, that's not what you're going to see in this fight. You know, he Henderson really reacts to the energy of the fight generally, and to the offense of his opponent specifically. And Thatch is going to Thatch is going to Thatch is going to you know he's going to lower the boom on him to the best he can anyway. And Henderson will respond in kind. I would say they usually favors guys like Henderson but that's always been a lightweight. I don't know how his physicality is going to match up at a weight class. Walterwitz are big dudes, man. These are guys who walk around 200 or, or more, you know, that's a large man. Uh, and I've seen Henderson in person. I didn't quite get the sense he was that big, but that was years ago. So we'll see. Also fourth title bout for Titan FC. Is this a hail Mary for, for them? Uh, I don't know. I did hear something. I want to share that uh, about Titan FC. I heard, this up I want to talk about their pay that I heard now understand they can't pay what other guys pay but let me pull this up real quick let's see here Uh, base pay is 400 and 400 then it moves to six and six not six thousand six hundred and then eight and eight if consecutive wins occur so 400 and 400 $600, 600 800 800 You know, again, they don't have a lot of money, but understand that it's going to be hard to, um, you know, people talk about like Bellator's base pay for, you know, regional guys that are fighting that aren't relevant to the Bellator family. You know, understand how low that it could go. Uh, gambling. I was thinking recently, recently about placing a bet on Gaston Woodley fight and hesitated due to the MMA's unpredictable cliche. It led me to examine the truth in this by using 30 of your event predictions and results over the past year. These are probably a disaster. Totals fights. So the results are below. Correct predictions, 61.73%. That's higher than I thought it would be. Most predictable weight classes, women's bantamweight at about 70 and lightweight at about 68. Least predictable classes, light heavyweight 50 and welterweight 55. Prelim correct 61.2. Main event 62, so roughly by equivalent for there. Worst predictions were 174, and best for predictions for me were 178. At 174, I was 27%. At 178, I was 91%, basically. Uh the question then is do you bet on events if you do? How do you and what do you say bet on? I do not bet on events. Look, little guys, I do those predictions for you. <laughs> for something to chew on. Do you actually think that when I hit publish, I'm like, you know what? about to happen like this i don't think that at all i don't think that i mean sometimes you know i think you can be dialed in on an event like if you just know these guys and for me it's like if i've seen them previously fight if i called one of their fights on the regional scene if i've really monitored their progress if i know their coaches well and sometimes you'll see an event where i have a lot of those factors all in play and i'll do pretty well on predictions you know but it's hard to have that kind of you know general competence about all the different players involved and oh by the way there are bad judges and oh by the way MMA is like baseball where except the you know the minute someone hits a home run the game's over right just one one shot you're not supposed to take kablam it's over you know um so so no I I don't bet but when I do those predictions I don't I don't like not try I give you what I think I can but I just really am hesitant about people who are like, oh my God, I can't believe someone picked this or I can't believe that the only time, and I mean this, I mean this seriously, the only time I've ever felt like, how could you possibly pick against him was Chad Mendes, Cody McKenzie. That's it. That's it. I've never gone to an MMA fight and been like, this person has no chance except for maybe that because MMA is insane. It's insane. It's a totally unpredictable sport. There are guys who bet on it. Well, There are guys who understand the odds and how they move and where there's value. Uh, You have to invest in that. And all the time in the world that I have, it doesn't involve doing that. I just don't have time for that. It's fair to assume that Anderson Silva has been on a performance enhancing drugs for a longer time, considering the longevity of him performing so well at his age, together with these facts being the first times he's been tested randomly and happened to fail. Is it crazy to believe that this was more than him taking PEDs due to the injury? A lot of people are claiming he has nothing, or I would suspect, very little to do with injury. Again, why is he being tested in the middle of a camp where he's not? I mean, if you're in the middle of camp, your injury has long since been declared over. You're not allowed to, I mean, you can do whatever you want, I suppose. But traditionally speaking, you get cleared to start training when the doctors say it's okay. So maybe he was actually really injured still in the middle of camp, but I find that hard to believe. He didn't look physically hobbled to me. He may have looked a little bit slower, a little bit older, and not quite, you know, his prime self, but he didn't look, he didn't look like a completely deflated, uh, you know, cheap facsimile of himself. He just looked like a slightly lesser version. My mouth is about, feels like I've just been eating sand for the last 45 minutes. This is all they had today at the store. I know y'all don't care that much. Pepsi Max. All right. Someone says, I hope not. It breaks my heart to believe that he tested positive for PEDs this time, and part of me still hopes he comes out clean this time when all is one big mistake. But to think that he has been on PEDs on multiple times will be beyond heartbreaking. Again, I understand if you were personally invested, like, I, 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 this man stands for something, you know? This guy is. This guy is. Um, you know, when he competes. It, it. It. affects me emotionally, and people can laugh at things like that. I don't laugh at things like that. I don't. I don't do that myself w- with guys like this. But um, that's a very human response, man. To be inspired by someone. To be. To be intellectually affected by them. To be emotionally. To be psychologically attached to them. To someone you don't even know because you watch them. You've watched them labor and suffer and try to achieve human excellence, there's nothing wrong with being attached to people like that. You know, I, it's a very human thing, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. And the cost is that what you're basically investing in is a, is a flawed human, just like you. Then maybe they're very good at this other thing, you know, that you, that, that, that you admire and that's okay. Then that's great. But they're just, they're just like you. What, what are those? Like those tabloid magazines, so-and-so does things just like us, and they're just sitting there eating ice cream, you know. I mean, it's a stupid thing, but I'm just trying to point out to you like these 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 rules about guys shouldn't be allowed to do this and they shouldn't be allowed to do that. You know, they have a value, but ultimately they're they're it's that's not the world we live in. It's not the world we live in. And when you finally understand the world we live in, that people, I think more often than not, if they get a chance to cut a corner. And they don't think that they're really hurting anybody because I don't think he really thinks he was hurting anybody any more than he already could have. I think he feels like I need to, I need to be myself again. That's all this is. I'm just going to be myself. There's a certain version of conception you have of yourself and maybe it doesn't match reality, but if you kind of get a sense that it doesn't, maybe you want to get back up there. I don't think he willfully went into the idea or took the idea seriously that he'd be actually doing extra harm to Nick Diaz. And in the end he didn't, but but, but these, are, these are human beings. These are totally human, all too human um, creatures who, if they don't feel like they're going to make someone hurt, and sometimes they don't even care if they make somebody hurt, but Anderson didn't seem like that kind of guy. They're going to do things. They're going to do things. Doesn't make it okay. Doesn't mean you have to say blah, blah, blah. Let me make it a, another point here. Like, is this going to ruin MMA? I don't think so. I don't think so. Feel like it ruined cycling. Did it? they ruin cycling? I don't know. Cycling was never big here. It never has been big. It was people paying more attention when Lance Armstrong was in it, and he was a total fraud. But, you know, it's not it's, – like, for example, um, when I visited Columbia in August of 2013, dude, cycling is huge there. And it's always been bigger there because, um, you know, if you go to Bogota, it's really mountainous. And so there's that Boyacá region where it's like super hilly. And you see, when we would, we would drive out to this place called Villa de Leva, and there'd be this, you know, these undulating hills everywhere and, um, you know, just, just total mountain landscape you're driving through um, where it goes from cold to hot and hot to cold based on the elevation. It was crazy. Uh, and you would see teams of these guys. And, like, you know, you see a real cyclist, man because they're, they're rail thin, but they're kind of still wiry, wiry and muscular, and they've got super expensive gear on. You know when you see a super expensive bike, and you'd see teams of these dudes for miles and miles and miles and miles. You know It didn't seem to bother them at all that Lance Armstrong had whatever he had. Was, cycling was never big here. People who still love cycling still love cycling. People who loved baseball still love baseball. Yes, they, they did some things to clean up the game a little bit. Okay, fine. You know, There's an argument that maybe pitching is better than it used to be because I don't follow baseball. I'm just trying to tell you what's out there. I don't think this ruins MMA. I really don't. I think it hurts the UFC more than it hurts MMA in a sense. And that hurts MMA too. I suppose on some level, but I just mean the brand might take a hit because the brand is assuming the responsibility for cleaning the up, and it's just so far from that. Whatever you, Whatever you think of their efforts, efforts they're they're you think they're great, you think they're inadequate. The fullness falls on them as a, as a, as a corporate entity, entity to take to action. action. And, 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 and that and just, just feels when, like nothing's happening. Uh, plus, 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 I also like, feel like people don't understand, understand the way it's regulated. Some of the language should given to the modern commission. But your average person doesn't realize that they're going to to look to U and say, why did not you Stopped five a four, four, in January, or whatever it is, because we may be confused we're about the use of mechanics of regulation, they should say, that should say well, you have or seen it you have seen it, has these issues, and you wouldn't have been In fact, Some of the way, involved on the line. But you know, in the end, in the end, you have to ask yourself what you want. What do you want? You want a clean sport, and it's you know? I wrote an article about it, there's a blueprint out there, it's not hard to follow. Costs money and stuff, but it's not—it's not you know some sort of esoteric thing that no one really knows. They know what to do. It's out there. Is that what you want, <clears throat> or do you want a partially regulated sport where you get heroes? Because it's hard to be a hero in a clean sport. It just is. It's just very, very, very difficult, especially in a sport like this where you can get great athletes, and even they suck because fighting requires fighting requires another dimension out of you that. Other sports sometimes don't. And I would go to my grave saying that. Truth be told, you know, team sports require something out of you that maybe, you know, MMA doesn't, but in wrestling too, maybe there's all these different sports have certain things that they ask of you, but you know, there's just because you're a great athlete does not mean you're going to do well in MMA. Lots of them have come through and have bottomed out. And, uh, and, uh, it's, it's hard to be a hero in a clean sport. Very, very, very difficult. So what do you want? You know, just ask yourself, what do you want? But this idea to like, you know, bang your fist on the form like a, and ask to see the manager because you just didn't get the consumer experience you wanted. You kind of did, you know, this is kind of what you asked for to ask for Anderson Silva to come back in a year. I was like, when these guys retire, I'm like, good dude, go. Like, <laughs> just be done with this, man. Just be done with this. You got kids, you got, you know, you got a future, but what are you doing? You know? You made a ton of cash. That's my take. Just depends on what you want. The problem is uh, I I think fans think that you can have a super clean, regulated sport that has really no impact on business. It has a tremendous impact on business. And that is the sort of awful space that the UFC is stuck in. I think that they do want to do the right thing. But every time they turn over a rock, they find worms, man. What do you do? If every time you flip over a rock, you find worms, at one point do you say, I'm just, I'm just not turning over rocks anymore, man? Do you know? If your industry is like that, where the, where the, where the use is so prevalent that the greatest fighter ever has been caught using not one but two of them, you, you, I can understand people being like, I don't even know what to do with this. Well, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know the answer, but my answer would be if I had to give one, we've never given full serious regulation a shot. I think we should attempt it. I think I know what's going to happen, but I think for the purposes of just crossing our T's and dotting our eyes, we should try it. And if that doesn't work, then we just go back to a system where we just empower commissions to do what they do. But um, this is your problem. Do you want heroes? Do you want a clean sport? You got to figure that out. And then you as a consumer need to tell UFC what it is that you want. I tend to think that what you want is partial regulation and a little bit of fantasy because fantasy is way more fun than reality. Sometimes uh, worst way to tackle a weight management problem. Luke, on your signal to noise comm you indicated the UFC did a horrible job. I didn't say they did a horrible job. I never said the word horrible ever in handling the Kelvin Gastelum and John Lineker weight situation by making them move up a weight class. I don't really agree in this case with you, okay? Last Friday, you reported that it was the second time Gastelum failed to make weight and the fourth time Lineker has failed to make weight. I really think the UFC needs to take a hard stance on a guy failing to make weight. I understand your point about aligning everyone's interests, but the UFC has an insanely big roster, and they can't babysit the roster. I do think it's a good reminder for the rest of the division that they know what the the, the outcome for failing to make weight could be in the future. I think the UFC should, should have done it a long time ago. Uh, I'm not asking UFC to do anything. I don't think they handled it poorly. Actually, what I thought was that they put guys like Lineker and Gastel put the UFC in a terrible bind. The fault is on them, not on UFC. UFC has every right to be frustrated with them. You miss weight four times, dude. You are an unprofessional person. Fact. 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 I don't care whatever other virtues that John Lineker may have. You miss weight four times in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and you are profoundly unprofessional. And you know Kelvin Gastelum's not quite as bad, but he is certainly on the same path. However, whether or not they're unprofessional and whether or not you want to send a message is irrelevant to whether that makes sense for you, the UFC. Does it really make sense to have John Lineker go up to bantamweight and maybe just get run over by some of the bigger wrestlers there? Or maybe just get outstruck by bigger, taller guys there, which seems fairly likely. Or does it make sense in a division that is struggling for contenders to give someone a little bit extra help? And listen, if he says, I don't want the extra help, because here's, here's, my, here's what I had envisioned. Uh, John, we're going to hire you a nutritionist. You're going to pay us back for it, but we're going to allow you to continue to fight at flyweight. Or you can go to bantamweight. These are your choices. Or we'll pay half the cost of your nutritionist. Or, or we won't. We'll just stick with whatever it is. We will We will hire you, this guy um maybe we'll help defray the cost maybe we won't uh, but we'll we'll in some way give you help to make this weight you can either accept that and reimburse us to some extent or you can move to bansomweight but john lineker at flyweight makes much more sense for the ufc as a weight. so if you want to put him at bansomweight to send a message send a message but you know I, again your value is it determines your justice and john lineker at flyweight, carries a lot of value. Now, Kelvin, Kelvin Gaslam's the same sort of way. I mean, you look at middleweights, he's not in the same physical dimension as those guys, period. And he has a lot of, pardon me, extra fat weight he could lose. He's made welterweight before. This is not some, like, miraculous state of nirvana. He's never been able to, like, reach. He's done it. So, again, if I was the UFC, I'd say, look, we'll help hire you. We'll, we, we will help you get the help you need. You are going to help us uh, by making the weight and paying us back, or you can go to middleweight. That is what I would offer him: a chance to stay at this weight class at at by making sure he gets the right help. He has to pay for it, or he can say, "Screw it! I don't want to do that. I just want to fight at a weight where I'm heavier." And then, okay, go into middleweight. Fine, do your thing. But just to mandate it, I just I think you're I think you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Uh, Vitor Belfour, is he the happiest man on the MMA planet right now with these failed drug tests? All the heat comes off him for choosing opponents who aren't actually worth the interim title. Yeah, Vitor is, I mean, of all the problems right now, although he somehow manages a way to find himself in conversations even when he's not fighting. But, yeah, he's the least of it. Do you agree with Rogan that 170 shouldn't be a problem for gasoline if he only had a lower fat percentage? I'm certainly not a nutritionist, but I don't think that's the craziest idea I've ever heard. Al Iaquinta, Longo and Sarah are creating one more star, in my opinion. Also, his confidence is sky high. What is Al's ceiling? Last bout with Joe Lazon. showed sure that he's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, you know what? He has... Um, I like Al. You are my dog? I like Al, because he, to me, marries uh, like a blood and guts, lightning and thunder kind of style that Sarah and Longo are slowly reigning in without eliminating in other words they're they're not taking away his weapons they're taking the things he already likes to do and just sharpening it and refining it so he still likes to throw the big heavy hooks in the pocket you know they didn't take that away I feel like you know listen John Jones might end up being the greatest fighter of all time but I do miss his big throws I do miss his spinning attacks you know they took that away from him to give him, make him a more conventional fighter, and, and in the end, I might be right. I'm not saying Greg Jackson and Michael Coln John are wrong for doing that. I'm, I'm I, the furthest thing I'm saying from that. But as a consumer of his fights, I will say I miss the fact that he used to throw a lot of spinning attacks. That to me was really fun and interesting and cool. And they're basically gone um, now. Also, Jones is the greatest fighter ever, so you can retool him and without without the same amount of problems. But yeah, I mean, Raging Al, I'm, I'm really impressed by him. You know, great wrestling, great intensity. Uh, better defense than he used to have. I, I like the fact that he was going, you know, left side, right to the body, and then back to the left side with kicks. So he's going all up and down, multiple strike combinations, multiple limb combinations, standing tall in the pocket, defining the terms of the fight. I really have a lot of positive things to say about Al Iaquin. And you should note, you know, there's other guys along on that team that deserve some some, some credit. We'll see what happens with Aljamain Sterling here coming up. But, you know, Longo, uh, they're putting together a decent team out there in Long Island, you know. They really are. They deserve a lot of credit for what they're doing out there. Making guys better at what they already like to do versus retooling them, for me, unless you have the best fighter ever in John Jones, I think is the way to go. Black females in MMA. This kind of came up in the Joe Rogan experience regarding black athletes and how they are dominating most sports. Uh, we are seeing that in MMA for sure, but why are we not seeing any black females in women's elite MMA? Well, someone notes that there are some. There's um, a great comment from a reader. It says Angela Hill, Randy Miller, and uh, another woman in Victor, whose name I cannot properly pronounce, uh, Jemima Betrian, Jermaine Durandami, um, although she's Dutch, but of course she might consider herself... Um, you know, you know, black in a, in a larger way, Taylor Stratford, uh, Ash, no, Ashley Simpson is white, uh, Marsha Allen, and Tamika Brents. So these are some names to keep in mind of, but it still wouldn't challenge the sort of basic premise that there aren't necessarily a huge representation of black women athletes in uh, mixed martial arts. I'd have to think about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Let's ignore the PED drug results, okay? What did you think of Anderson Silva post-injury in terms of movement, speed, fight IQ? I thought he looked a really bad version of Anderson Silva, just a slower, less powerful, and less confidence. Keep in mind, I was a bit tipsy watching the fight, so maybe I wasn't in the right state of mind for judging it. Well, you certainly weren't in the right state of mind for judging it, but an understandable state nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, just go back to what I said before real quickly is that... Shot selection didn't seem to be fluid. I mean, at some point when you're, when you're competing, you know what you like to do. You know what's available to you. You know, when he was fighting these guys, him and Jose Aldo have a lot of the same things, which is to say, reflexive decision-making. You know, Anderson for years had this ability to just make a choice, 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 make a choice and put it together, and they all kind of worked, you know, or if one worked, all the rest of them, or rather, if one didn't work, all the rest of them did. And you could see he was laboring through decisions. That was what kind of surprised me. And again, part of that goes to credit to Nick Diaz. Uh, I think I don't think you can make these claims about Diaz or about Silva without acknowledging the particular kind of things that Nick Diaz offered. But uh, that was, what, to me, what was missing. But this argument that he was like shot, it's like, do you know what a shot fighter looks like? Go look at some of the last boxing matches of Kermit Cintron. Okay, that's a shot fighter, you know. You know, just 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 languid, and you can tell, unable to take damage, and and just look—they look hungover. That's not—that's not Anderson Silva here at all. And again, maybe because he was using performance-enhancing drugs, but just based on what he looked like, I, th- I had people tweeting me, "Oh, he looks shot." No, he doesn't. He looks slower. He looks, you know, not quite what he was, but he doesn't look shot. No, no, that's not true at all. True false. Lyrica gets dominated by any one top 10 at Bantamweight. No, I don't think I don't think that's fair. Uh, doc, I mean he may lose to him. I don't think he gets dominated. Uh, Pac-Man versus Money may happens. I'm confident if Bob Arum gets out of the way. Cormier easily handles Gus if they fight. Easily handles false. Last 4 weeks equals craziest month in MMA history. I don't know how you can say otherwise. This has been the single greatest, worst, weirdest, bizarrest that's even a word, month in MMA history, period, period, yeah, we didn't get some of the things you want, you know, big Japanese show, or whatever the case may be, but this month was bat s. drug test failures, injuries, fight cancellations, guys on win streaks, coronation of maybe the greatest fighter of all time, fights overseas, fights on Fox, fights on pay-per-view, fights on Fox Sports 1, huge ratings. Drug test scandals. I mean, you can go on and on. Everything that is MMA was packed into that month. Good, bad, weird, indifferent, awesome, Essie, horrible, frightening. It was all right there. Vitor versus Weidman never takes place. I'll say false. Nick Diaz fights again. Maybe false. Bendo beats Thatch. I'm going to say true, but I don't, I'm not confident about it. Is the UFC in trouble? Although January was a great month for the UFC, is the company in trouble as a whole? More fighters are missing weight. Injuries aren't going away. Fighters are suing drugs. It seems like there are more and more problems for the UFC. Um, Here's what I would say. If January showed us anything, it's that the, the appetite for big fights and big stars, and in some cases, heroes, it's still as strong as ever, I think, or if not, pretty damn close. Uh, I saw some, I can't reveal them now because I'll, th- you know Dave is going to reveal them. I saw some early pay-per-view estimates that Dave had for um, for US 183. It was a hit. It was a hit. Okay? They had two pay-per-views in one month that were hits. And by the way, they did really well on UFC and Fox. And by the way, they killed it on Fox Sports 1. I mean, if, if that doesn't prove to you that the UFC, if they give you the right product that there's still plenty of interest, nothing will. People want to see stars, and they want to see big fights. And that's partly why these guys do these things that they do. You know, that's just, just fact, part of the reason why they do it. <coughs> Pardon me, I've been sick. Um, so that's the real positive note to take out of this. Like, if they had put their best foot forward and there was no market response, then I'd be worried. But there was plenty of market response. People, people got up out of their seats, and they put down tons of money. Like, on that level, it was a total, total win. On the other hand, if January taught you anything, it's that, number one, these injuries, everyone's like, oh, it's a new year. Everything changes. Why does anything change? The same factors that were causing the injuries in mass, they haven't gone anywhere. They're still right here. None of that changes. None of that changes. So to me, you know, we can have an oversaturation debate. Again, if you want, I don't want to. Let's put that just aside for a moment. If that's not the biggest problem that they have, it's certainly number two, because number one might just be injuries. And the worst part about injuries is everyone deals with a certain rate of attrition, every sport, every league. I don't think anyone saw this coming. I certainly didn't. And I don't think UFC did either. I don't think UFC saw this many guys getting banged up this often having this much effect on their business. And the problem is I'm not sure they know how to fix it. Not to say they're not trying, not to say they're not invested in it, not to say they're not aware of it. I'm sure they're aware of it. And I'm sure they're trying to come up with solutions like anybody else. But to me, that's what makes the injury challenge the most troublesome. You can, at some point, you can dial back the number of shows if you have to. At some point, you can at least localize them if you want. We're only going to do U.S. and Canada and Mexico. We're only going to do, you know, Western Hemisphere or something like that. These are all things that they're in control of. They're not in control of injuries. Injuries happen independent of those things. And they don't, it came almost, I won't say out of nowhere, but once it came, it stayed. And I don't think anybody really saw that coming. I just don't that to me makes the injury challenge perhaps more unique than any other one that they have was that all the smartest guys in media, all the smartest executives in UFC, and there are many, and all the smart brains and who are involved with TV networks, no one saw injuries being this much of a problem for this prolonged estate. The lawsuit stuff, I don't know. I mean, it's so early, it's hard to tell. Uh, I am seeing many headlines that simply say Anderson Silva and Nick Diaz failed drug tests. Lumping the two together in a headline with no distinction suggests that the two offenses are similar in magnitude. Seems like bad journalism. What are your thoughts on this? I don't think so. I think that is part of the headline. You had a main event. Both guys failed. The question is, did you provide other coverage that delineates the actual issue and separates them in the ways they need to be separated? But just completely reporting them as separate issues to me is actually false. You have a main event between the greatest fighter of all time and a returning guy from a sabbatical, and they both had drug-related issues. Now, again, the one with Diaz, you have to follow me personally on my logic about blood tests versus urinalysis. Um, But I don't think it's wrong to group them together, provided you have other kinds of of, um, coverage. Let's go to uh, the Twitter machine, at SBN Luke Thomas. Uh, You speak highly of fight IQ. Give an example of a low fight IQ, i.e. boats chasing around rocked opponents to the clinch and the ground. What's a good example of poor decision-making in a fight? Um, Trying to take down a guy with great takedown defense who you've rocked on the feet. That is, that is bad fight IQ. So it says, I want a clean sport. Yeah, maybe you do. When do local PED laws in Brazil and in competition use for MMA and BJJ get looked at? Too many freaks in one place. That's a complicated question I can't seem to answer. So it says, don't discard the possibility of being in camp and still feeling weak in your injured leg and then taking seems possible, but I don't, yeah, seems possible. But that doesn't, you know, that's not medicinal. If you're not ready, you shouldn't be training. There's been talk of a one-point deduction for an eye poke. Your thoughts on this? I've said it before. Watch an HBO boxing broadcast, and what do you see? You see the referee who's been selected for that event go to each locker room. They film this, they show this on the broadcast explaining to them the rules because both fighters' camps might be like, hey, watch out for what this guy does. Hey, watch out for what that guy does. They might be the same height, and so they're clashing heads or, you know, something like that. And the referee says, I'm going to be paying attention to this. You need to do this. I'm going to say this. Tell them up front, do not eye poke. It will result in an automatic point. I think it's a little harsh, but I would certainly say you get one warning. After that, everything is automatic after that. But you see them tell that. You see them say that to them, and they never do that. They never have – they never devote a part of their broadcast to that. I mentioned before, you know, um, that the the beginning of the UFC on Fox broadcast is like 15 minutes before someone's fighting. Take out some some of the analysis, as good as Stan and and, and Daniel Cormier are, take out some of that analysis and give us – Referees talking to guys backstage. That to me is interesting and compelling and lets you know. Now not, not that Gust of Sin or Rumble are unique eye poke threats, but you might get a main event where some guy is. Let's see the referee talk to them beforehand. So we when the fight starts, we all start from the same level. I would like to see that. One to ten. How good was Diaz's performance? Here's what I wrote on Twitter. I don't think that um, I don't think that he looked great, but he fought a roided up Anderson Silva. He went the distance landed some decent punches, laid down in the fight. You know, not too shabby. Not too shabby, Nick. And, hey, he may have even been high. I don't know. Um, after it was all said and done, the month of January has been the McGregor month. After all these pops, no. The month of January belonged to the sport generally. I don't think anyone stood out. I mean, John Jones made the biggest impact, but then had that weird after effect. Anderson Silva, you know, engenders a lot of sympathy, but then this happened. McGregor looked good, but ultimately fought a guy who was not in his league. It was, a, you know, it was not a serious contender. Um, so each one contributed, I think, to a larger mosaic of what the sport actually offers you. Question, how awesome is Misha Tate? I can't believe y'all are giving her credit. I know Chad done this because uh, I listen to the co-main event podcast. It's a great podcast. And he and Ben Funks are going fa- fa- back and forth about who won that. You know, I don't see how you could possibly give it to Sarah McMahon. But, you know, uh, not, not every time do great minds think alike. Uh, I thought Tate looked awesome. You know, getting her face broken in the first round and fighting through it is just insanely amazing, number one. And then number two, to go out there, you guys don't understand if you don't. I mean, I'm not – I'm not an expert. I'm not. I know a little bit on the mats to be able to come here and tell you a little bit of a story. That's all I can really do. I'm not an expert. I just know a little bit. But that little bit has been like this like revelatory window. My friends, do you know what kind of technical skill it takes to hold down a someone with the base of an Olympic silver medalist? That is insane. That is insane. That is insanely difficult to do. Okay? You just don't you just don't understand. We all agree that Misha Tate can't match Sarah McMahon physically. Have you seen Sarah McMahon? She looks like she, she could jump into a bodybuilding competition. She's a ridiculous athlete. Okay. Tate can't match her physically. So if you're gonna beat her, you're gonna beat her on skill. And that's exactly what she did. <coughs> and beat her at a, a portion of the game where she shouldn't be able to that easily. It was such a clinic in the value of underhooks. It was such a clinic in in Tate going between passing, submission threats, and attacking with strikes to get McMahon constantly reacting. Like, there were moments where McMahon could have dove for an underhook and then put the back, I was talking about the Chidi and Jokawani fight you know, on RFA, where he wasn't, he was letting guys post their elbow on this hand and then using this hand to get the underhooks, yeah? And, and there were moments where McMahon could have been doing that, but she was so concerned about what Tate was going to do to her because Tate was constantly, you know, co- you know not, not, not overly aggressively, but there's a steady clip of it, applying offense, applying offense, applying offense. Uh, master work a masterwork now that being said the dude who deserves the most credit is talus lighties and i know they pronounced his name different i'm not even going to pretend to you know know how to do it properly in portuguese but talus lighties understand something like to go for a head and arm triangle from mount for bosch to get out of it and then to switch sides and then succeed in it there are so many things at play here number one they always teach you in jiu-jitsu to um they always teach you, you know, you should learn passing as good on the left as you do on the right. You should learn chokes from the left as you do on the right. And, and some guys can do that. But the reality is everyone has their preferences. And you just train things more than others because of that. You try to be well, well, well-rounded, but you also try to have things that you're ace in the hole. For him to be able to do that shows he understands the mechanics of that choke perfectly. Guys, I'm telling you, diving for wizards on the left doesn't feel the same as diving for them on the right. You're, 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 you naturally have a proclivity on one side of your body. And it takes a lot of effort to be good at both things. So, number one, a complete and total mastery of that choke, which is not an obvious thing. Number two, just to have the courage to try it again after failing the first time. You know, he fought out of it. Now, it wasn't the most technical fighting out of it. It was partly technical, partly just, you know, because Tim Boach is a man. And he fought out of it. But just to have the courage to try it again is is also incredible. And then three, to apply ingenuity to it. So, he got the choke and then pushed his feet in. Didn't curl his toes because that would be illegal, but then pushed his feet off the cage. This this is high-level stuff, folks. This is high-level stuff. you got to be impressed with Talos Lactes and what he did. Such an unbelievable display. We always say, what does good jiu-jitsu mean? Oh, how many championships did you win in the gi? Man, you know what? You want to see what real good jiu-jitsu looks like? It looks like guys who have faith in their technique – it looks like guys who have complete mastery of the mechanics of it, and it looks like guys who can also adapt on the fly for MMA purposes. Talos Lytes has excellent, excellent jujitsu. Let's keep going here if we can. Uh, Alvarez Melendez, interest you? Yeah, sure. It was a fight that was supposed to be made years ago when, when uh, Alvarez was in Bellator and Melendez was in the Strike Force. I'd be happy to see it uh ref rosenthal is out of jail next month will he ref again i don't know if anyone will ever license him but that would be unfortunate (coughs) um fighter rankings do they matter anymore they do unfortunately that's not so much the best thing in the world either let's go back to the questions here we're just a couple more minutes did GSP read the writing on the wall and get out early? Again, I don't know what happened in his career. If he never used, he never popped. I don't ever, I never would never accuse him of such. But if he did, uh, boy, he got out perfect. You're just never going to see exits like this. I mean, just excellence. You know, I hope he never comes back. that partly just because I don't think he can perform up to the level to, to Frank Trick's point, but the other part is just that I just you just don't want anything else happening. You know, what if he succumbs to the pressure? What if he comes back and he has maybe never used, and this time he's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, I don't want to put him in that position to make that choice as a, as a, as a consumer of the product. I don't, I don't want him to do that. If, if he feels he has to do it because he has to measure up to our expectations, I'd rather him just not come back, and I hope many fans feel that way. I already read this one. Jones versus Rumble. I'm curious to hear your analysis of this matchup. Jones is by far the best light heavyweight, but do you think Rumble's raw, vicious power could finally be the thing to negate that? I didn't think anybody would be able to do, to gust of saying what Rumble did. Jones is obviously going to be a fairly heavy favorite, as he should be, but how would you rate Rumble's chances in the fight? Um, I favor Jones for two reasons. I think the length is going to give, I think is going to give uh, uh, um, Rumble some problems. And more importantly, again, I really feel like um, Jones is going to find his way into the clinch, and when he does that, he's going to have his way with Anthony Johnson. That being said, again, it's like watching a baseball game. and As soon as someone hits a home run, kab- kabam, you know, the, the, the whole thing's over. Uh, that's the kind of power that Anthony Johnson has. All he needs to do is connect a little bit. And I will also say Jones is a little bit too, you know, willing to accept the risk of taking a shot that I don't enjoy. He really needs to be a little more protective of himself in ways that he's not, and that's that's problematic, and, and that's good for, for Johnson. So I would expect a nail-biter, but in the end, I think Jones wins. <laughs> uh, Rousey Tate Trilogy. Given she is the only one to make it to the third round with Rousey and her solid performance since that loss, do you think it is likely they will give her a title fight anytime soon? I hope not, because... She- Again, I think Tate looked awesome, but I think Rousey is perpetually a bad matchup. So look at the reason why Tate can't do well against Rousey. I would submit to you there's a number of factors, not least of which is that Rousey, or rather Tate struggles against explosive, quick, speed transition grapplers. Tate likes to establish control and then methodically break you down. Yeah, that's what she likes rousey likes any position exploding into it exploding out of it and then creating havoc and then making you make a mistake and catching you that's what she likes that is not a good style for for the way in which rousey grapples or i'm sorry tate grapples so i don't really know why we'd expect anything different Is this Anderson's first randomized pre-fight blood test? I believe that it is, but I need to verify. How did you score the Diaz-Silva fight? I think I scored it 49-46. What did you think of the strategy Nick used against Silva? I thought it was an interesting fight, particularly the way Nick chose to fight. Nick was trying to put together a cascading set of punches where one led to another, led to another, led to another. Um, And he wasn't really able to do that, both from the outside movement of Anderson Silva and uh, Silva's domination, either in both in getting inside and getting out of the clinch. And that was a problem for Nick Diaz. I think Nick, the the one thing I would take away from this this performance with Nick is that he's just got to add some other dimensions to his game. I thought that, you know, the, the misdirection stuff about laying down and laying against the cage, all that was cool and awesome, but it's not going to help you really beat a guy. It's just going to make him slow him down a little bit. And it worked. but if you're going to slow him down, you then need to act upon it. And, you know, he was throwing more leg kicks and stuff, but there's just a piece of Diaz's game that's missing. And, you know, he only wants to fight the best, but as long as he's going to be only fighting the best, those weaknesses are going to be underscored. Like people are beginning to forget how good of a fighter Nick Diaz is. And that's a problem for me because he's a really excellent, great fighter. But if he's not willing to add the dimensions of his game that he, probably could to showcase that, then he's either going to be continuously losing or, you know, not only just losing, but looking languid in the process. And we'll do one more here and we'll get out of here. Um. People asking about is our steroids underreported. The problem is it's hard to get any information out of anybody. That's why it's underreported. There are lots of rumors and there are lots of guys who don't pass the eyeball test. There's very little facts you can take public <clears throat> to report on. All right. With that said, I have to go. I have a plane I got to catch. Uh, I'll be uh, in uh, Hampton for the glory show. If you see me, come say hi. You can check that out this week. Uh, it's Friday on spike TV. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at sbn Luke Thomas. You can email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. And uh, you can stay tuned to MMA Fighting for plenty of Nick Diaz and Anderson Silva coverage and for uh, all the rest of your MMA stuff this month. Until next time, gents and ladies, stay frosty.